Welcome back to House Rich, the real estate show. We talk to average people that have done above average things in real estate. Today's guest is, it's me. So we're going to do the ultimate home buying guide episodes. I'm going to break down everything you need to know from thinking, hey, should I buy a home to, hey, here go the keys in my hand. So let's jump into it. So before anything, you have to know, are my ready to buy a home? There's really two components to are you ready to buy a home there? Am I ready from a financial standpoint? Am I ready from a mental standpoint? Let's just talk numbers real quick. So we're not, no, we're not numbers, but from a financial standpoint, like it's like, hey, do I have a steady job or some steady form of income in order to purchase this home? Because the thing with the a renting, you may be in a bad deal with renting, but at least you're out of that deal. Hopefully within a year, you may be, to, you may be able to buy yourself out of the lease with the mortgage is coming for the next 30 years. Um, the only way to get out is to go into foreclosure or sell the home. And so you don't want to be selling the home too quickly, you know, within the first year, most likely, because with with realtor commission and seller fees, you may end up taking an L on that home, in, even in a hot market like, like this, whether folks say that or not. And then so from a mental standpoint, it's like, hey, am I in a steady position with myself or with my family, if I have a family? Are we ready to settle down to be in one place? You know, am I in a relationship now? And am I Am I purchasing this home now for myself? Am I purchasing this home for the future? I mean, you need to figure out you know, kind of where you are from a mental standpoint to say, hey, are you ready to settle down? And so once you kind of figure out that, the next step is really to, to do your research. And so if you're listening to the sound of my voice, you're doing your research, congratulations to you. And so I always preach there's three things, only three things your lender evaluates when it's time to purchase a home. There is your credit. There is your debt to income ratio, and then there is your funds for the down payment. It is only those three. So you need to research to figure out, you know, what those are for your scenario. So let's talk about credit. So for um, identifying your loan program. So as far as credit with an FHA loan, the minimum credit score you have for an FHA loan is actually a 500 credit score. Yes, a 500 credit score. You do need to put down 10%. You have to be able to find a lender that will go all the way down to a 500 for you because there are lender overlays. Lender overlays are basically guidelines that lenders put on top of um, whatever the actual guidelines are for their loan. But yeah, a 500 credit score is what you can actually um, have if you're, if you're willing to put down 10% on an FHA loan. If you want to go a little bit, put down a little bit less, you need a 580 credit score to put down a, in order to put down um, as little as three and a half percent on an FHA loan. Once again, going back to the overlays, your lender most likely wants to see you at like a 620, 640. That's where most lenders are going to have their overlays at. But you can do the 580, 500. The thing is, you're going to get hammered on that, that credit score or that interest rate. Just FYI, if that's something you want to do, um, just be aware of that. And then so the other program as a, excuse me, a conventional loan, you want to go, you're going to need to be at a 624 conventional loan, putting down like 5% there. And then uh, really at a 640 and oh, really more towards a 660, but 640, if you're going to want to put down only 3%. So once again, yeah, 3% on the conventional loan is less than three and a half percent on an FHA loan. And so as long as you're not like house hacking, you always want to go conventional over FHA for, for two reasons. One or a couple of reasons. One, the FHA loan, higher minimum down payment, um, FHO is more credit is more forgiving as far as credit wise, but sellers, realtors know it's more forgiving credit wise. And so they're going to steal their, steal their, steer their clients away from that because they're saying, Hey, this person is not as financially responsible, which is what honestly, your, your credit score means like, like it or not. And so they may not be as responsible when it comes to closing on your loan. And also there's something called the amendatory clause with an FHA loan. And so what the amendatory clause says is that if the, 
if the home does not appraise for the price on the contract, the seller, or excuse me, the buyer can back out of that contract at any point in time. Even after the period where um, you put down earnest money, we'll get into that earnest money period a little bit later in this, this episode. So all things equal, unless you're house acting, you want to go uh, conventional over FHA. You, know, you, have a, you have a much higher likelihood of getting your offer accepted on conventional over FHA. And then there's other programs. So there's a USDA loan program. You want to be at like a 640 for that. That's zero percent down. A VA loan program, technically there's no minimum credit score, but, but you want to be at like a 640 because, you know, lender lender overlays, that's zero percent down. And then there's the, the NACA program. And so it's a zero percent down program where they don't evaluate your, your credit. They do, they do evaluate your ability to pay bills on time and stuff like that. So don't hear no credit and think that, uh, you know, hey, I can, my credit score can be in the dumps. Um, you need, they, they evaluate to make sure that like present day, you're paying your, your bills on time more specifically or most specifically like your rent and stuff like that. And also it, it, it is like no money down, but you do need to have money because once again, they evaluate your savings um, and make sure that you are not like a, you're not going to be house poor. Like you, not, not you, you're 25 years old, you're 30 years old, and somehow in your entire 30 years on this planet, you've saved zero dollars. Like that's not going to work because uh, you're going to get jammed up when you buy a home and something inevitably breaks. So they do make sure you have some savings for that that NACA program. And then number three, I don't know what number more, but also what you want to factor in is, hey, what type of property do I want in the first place? And so that's super important too because if you're if you're house hacking, you look at a multifamily property, you know, you want to go FHA, you want to make sure you're working with a, a realtor and a lender that understand um, house hacking and more important, like the FHA self-sufficiency test. And so you want to make sure, or if you're looking at a condo, if you're looking at a, um, a single family home, you want to make sure you identify what property that you want before you talk to a lender or realtor. And that's super important because no matter how good that lender or realtor is, they're looking at stuff through their, their eyes, through their vantage point. I guess even I present this information, I'm presenting to you through, through my vantage point. So you want to make sure that they're not changing your mindset with what their preconceived notions of what they think is good for the folks that they've seen. You, should, you know what's best for you, but you know obviously you want to consult with folks and they may have some ideas, but you want to make sure you have an idea of what you want in your head before you talk to that uh, lender or realtor. So once again, that they're that um, that you're getting what's best for you, not what's not what they think is best for you, or what they think is best for the majority of people that they've seen in their uh, days on this uh, <laughs> this this rock that uh, that spins in space, the Earth, the planet. And so there you go. And so after you figure that out, now is when you want to talk to a realtor or lender. So depending on who you ask, they'll say, hey, some will say talk to a realtor first, some will say talk to a lender first. I always say talk to a lender first. Because here's the thing. You can buy a home without a realtor. I don't recommend it. You can't buy a home without money. You can't buy a home without funding. And so you're going to go see a realtor to, to what? To say, hey, I want to qual- I want to look in a, a neighborhood with $400,000 with $400,000 homes. Can you qualify for a $400,000 home? Maybe you need to lower your, your looking um, a little bit lower. And so the way you figure out what you can qualify for is to talk to a lender. That's why I always say talk to a lender first. And so um, if you're just watching this video, I mean, I'm, I'm a lender underwriter. And so my, once again, my vision or my idea may be tainted through that, that glass of, um, of uh, what I'm saying there. But yeah, talk to a lender first for what I say. You can, you can't, you can't, uh, you can buy a home without a realtor, but not without money. And so a couple of things you want to do when you're talking to your lender, you want to ask them a couple of questions. So I got the stuff written down here. Give me one second. I'm looking down. 
And so a couple of things you want to ask your lenders, like, hey, how long have you been in the business? How long have you been doing this? There's not a right or wrong answer. And I would just say a couple of things is uh, if somebody is super new, that's not bad. I was new. Everyone, someone, everyone has to be new at some point in time. And so just because they've been in the business a long time, too, that doesn't mean that's great either. And so I'll give two, two, two examples here. So I know some like top performing um, lenders that are just that are, you know, been in the business so long. So they have their set way of doing things where it's like, hey, I've, I've been doing this for 10 years. I've, you know, earned my stripes. I'm not answering calls after five. I'm not answering calls in the weekend. That's not good. That's not bad. That's what they do. And they're upfront about it. So if that's not what works for you, that's not the lender for you, even though they may be super experienced um, and, and, you know, uh, been in the game for a minute. And so on the other side of things is, is the is completely new uh, loan officer. And so they don't know what they're doing. I didn't know what I was doing when I started, even if, they, even if they think they know, even if they think they know what they're doing. But the thing about that is if they're working with a good, um, hopefully they're working under a good management team. And so that person, they'll have somebody, you know, hopefully guiding them through the process. And then too, if you're their first deal, I mean, they'll be super eager to, to work with you and, you know, answer your phone calls, uh, you know, hopefully answering your phone calls all the time and, and working with you to get that first deal done. So like I said, how long they've been in the business, not a good or a bad thing, but it's a good idea just for you to know. So you can kind of um, make your decision, you know, based on that. Then, like I said, two, I kind of touched on this a little bit, but you know, what are your hours? You know, sometimes you, you're working with lenders who just aren't available on the weekend, just, just due to the setup of their, their, uh, their organization or their, um, I'll, I'll give you examples. I used to work at Chase. So there, there's lenders that work in, in the branch, like, like I was a lender like that. And there's lenders that work like in the phone bank. And so if, you you had if you work with me or a lender that worked at the branch, you had my cell phone, so I was available, you know, whenever you wanted to call. Or if you worked with somebody in the phone bank, they were available during the weekdays and you didn't have their phone number. And so, you know, if you're calling on the weekends, you're getting the, the voicemail just because that's that was their mandated hours. And so most likely you're going to be shopping for a home during the weekend. And so you may need an adjustment to your pre-call letter or something like that. So chances are you do want a, a lender that is available during the weekend because that's most likely the time we're going to be shopping so that's something you need to factor in as well and then number two or number well who cares what number more what loan programs do you specialize in that's super important because i can tell you as in five years as a lender i've never done a usda loan ever and so i i don't know some of the intricate details of, of usda loans or I, I can read guidelines but there's no way to for any lender to know everything that's going to happen with the loan and so the more the longer you've been a lender, the more loans you've done, the more scenarios you've run into, because there's no way to understand every one-off scenario. And so that's something you want to know as well. So if you're going to be looking at like a specialized loan program or a, a uncommon loan program, like a VA loan or USA loan, you want to probably go to a lender that specializes in one of those programs so that they can help you if, you know, if the inevitable, you know, uh, um, dink or whatever comes up when it comes to that, that program. And so, um, what loan program you specialize in. So they could have been in the game for who knows how long, but if like with me, they've never done a USA loan. Eh, they may not be the lender that you are, um, that you want to run with. And then, so if you're looking for down payment assistance, you want to ask, you want to ask two, you want to ask two questions. So you want to ask what down payment assistance programs they have. And so they'll tell you what down payment assistance programs they have. Then you want to ask what down payment assistance programs are available. Typically those are two different, answers because a lender is not going to be versed in every single down payment assistance program because they have to actually qualify for the different different programs to get certified and all that and so 
what you always want, what you typically want to do is just, if you're in the area, just Google like your county and down payment assistance programs so that you can see what down payment assistance programs are available in your area. And so if you're like married to a down payment assistance program, maybe, you know, maybe the lender that you you love, if the lender you love doesn't have that down payment assistance program, sorry if you're watching on YouTube, if they don't have that program, they're not the lender for you, no matter how cool or how much you like them. So just food for thought there. And then uh, probably the most important question, or they're all important, but what are your turn? What are your turn times? How quickly can you close a loan? Like if your local market is saying, "Hey, your 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 loans are closing in like twenty one days, twenty days," your lender's like, "Hey, I can only do thirty days." You know, once again, no matter how good they are, if they can't close a loan in the the turn time, that's going to win you. That's going to win you a deal. It, it doesn't work. So if you can only, like I said, if you if the time in your market is like twenty days for your market, and you have to put you're putting 30 or 45 days on the contract because that's your lender's turn time is, you're not going to win the deal. So, I mean, um, once again, no matter how cool or how much you like that lender, that's not going to work. All right. So um, that's really what you kind of should be asking your lender and interviewing your, your lender there. And then um, also you want to kind of figure out what, what time, or actually we'll get to time frames after that. So let's talk about interviewing a lender, what lender you're comfortable with. And then once you're um, pre-qualified, and we'll get into all the levels of qualification. You want to talk to a realtor. And so here's some questions you should be asking your realtor as well. One, hey, realtor, ma'am, sir, are you pre are you full-time or part-time? That's super important to know because if they're part-time, you know, they have a nine to five, that's nothing, that's nothing bad. Most realtors are actually uh, part-time. The vast majority are, but they may not be available all the time to see the home that you want. So if their schedule doesn't work with your schedule because they're part-time, that's not the realtor for you, no matter how much you like her, no matter how much your friend said, hey, you know, work with uh, Jessica, she, she's great. If that's available and you're available, that just doesn't doesn't work. And so, um, or, you know, you may, yeah, if they're not available and you're available, that just doesn't work. But you also want to ask them, hey, you know, are you part of a team? So if they're like a part-time realtor, maybe they do have a team that can show you homes on the the times you're you're available. So food, food for thought there. Then two, ask them what areas that they specialize in. They'll tell you everywhere, like if here in the DFW area, they say, oh, the whole DFW, Dallas, Fort Worth, Frisco. These are places that are probably like 50 minutes away from each other, you know, South Dallas. And so, but they should specialize in one certain area because especially in a, a super hot market like this, you want to know, you want to, if you're looking in like a certain area, a certain neighborhood, you want a realtor that specializes in the area because maybe they can find like off-market deals and stuff and stuff like that before it even hits the but hits the market. Well, it's, it's like the MLS and the market and the bidding wars and all that stuff happens. You know, that's when stuff kind of spins out of out of control and you're and folks are bidding, you know, 20, 30% over asking price. So, hey, what areas are you specializing? And then once again, I think I kind of talked about, uh, you know, availability there. And then also ask them, you know, hey, um, you know, how many loans do you typically close close a a, a month? And so, um, once again, there's no good answer to this question, but, you know, if they're closing, you know, three, four, five, Five, actually, four or five, that's a lot, five loan or five uh, deals a month. That's a lot, but you know that they're proficient and they're probably good, you know, better at negotiating when it comes to getting their, their clients getting deals or somebody that, you know, what closes one or maybe maybe only close four or five deals a a, um, a year. So um, if they're closing a lot, they're probably good at negotiating and winning their clients' deals. And, you know, and they probably have a good reputation in the in the, um, in the the area as, as well. So that's something to know as well, because you're, them seeing like, you know, um, I'm just gonna keep saying uh, Jessica or whoever, you know, Jessica Smith on is making an offer. 
the Larosa knows how Jessica Smith doesn't play around. Their clients are are very thoroughly vetted, and you know if Jessica Smith's offer, their, their client's going to close the deal. So that's super important for that um, person on the other side of the um, the coin on the seller's side to know as well. But honestly, highest price typically is going to win. But all things equal, um, Jessica may be able to help you out there. And so that's what you want to figure out too. And so you may have done this in the first part, talk to the lender, but you want to get your your pre qual your your you want to get pre qualified. So there, there's a couple of different letters. There's, lenders call pre-qualifications different things. So some call, you know, just, you know, looking at things to pre-qual. Some call um, running your credit to pre-qual. Some call different things, pre-quals, pre-approvals and all that. What you need to know most importantly is if you did not give a lender your income docs, no matter what they say in the letter, your pre-approval is, is, is BS. If you didn't have a lender pull your credit, your pre-approval is BS. If you can't take the let's say 10 minutes it takes to download your W-2s and pay stubs and, and fill out a full application for the lender, you aren't ready to buy a home. That's just simple and plain. So don't give your lender a hard time talking about, hey, I'll, I don't want to turn in this or blah, blah, blah. Hey, don't run my credit, blah, blah, blah. You're not ready to buy a home if, if that's kind of your predicament. So which, which is fine, but just be honest with yourself. And so when it comes to the old don't run my credit thing, a credit inquiry may hit, hurt your credit five, five points. That's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Have a lender running credit. There's no way to know what your credit is without a lender running your credit. Trust me, whatever you're looking at on your um, on Credit Karma or your banker's app or whatever like that, it, it's probably, in my experience, it's like 20 to 60 points higher than what the, the lender pulls. The lender's pulling a different score. It's a, it's a FICO model, your um, Credit Karma or your banking app's using a advantage score model. That just that just is what it is. One's not what right, one's not wrong, but the one the, lender, the, the, one the lender's using matters. And so there's a, there's a, once again, there's a couple of different levels to the prequel. Um, we're just going to start at the level where you've got your credit pulled and turned in all your docs. And so typically that's like the pre-approval process. Then there's another kind of level um, it goes through where you can submit your loan to underwriting. And so you can submit your, all your documents to underwriting and the underwriter will basically um, approve you up to a certain amount based on your income docs. And so at that point, all they need is basically a contract in the home. And then if you're, if you're, and so you can do that if you're self-employed or you're like a W-2 employee. If you're self-employed, you 100% want to go through the underwriting process because especially if you have one of those complicated um, tax returns, the underwriter, the underwriter knows how to read tax returns way better than your, your loan officer does. Either your loan officer is just as good, not as likely, um, or the, or the underwriter is, is better. So especially if you have a complicated file, you want to turn in your docs so that the underwriter can, um, so that there's nothing surprising that comes up. On the W on the your tax returns, where hey, you didn't know that your K ones were were written like this, and now you have this this write off that your your loan officer didn't realize. And hey, you think you make 100k, but now you only make 50k or something like that. You just want to send it through underwriting so that there's no drama or anything down the line when it comes to evaluating your your income. Once again, if you don't got time to get your tax returns from your your CPA or whoever um, to submit them to the lender, oh, there's so many pages, blah blah blah. You're not ready to buy a home. Just be honest with yourself. And so when it comes to like pulling a, pulling a credit and all that, typically a credit score is going to be up between like 90 and 120 days. So if you're in a position where you're like, hey, I'm not ready to look for another um, within like a four month time frame. Yeah, you don't want to get your credit pulled because you're just kind of just kind of wasting wasting things. But if you're like, hey, I don't know what my credit is, uh, you may want to get your credit pulled just so they, they can check things out. So it's like, hey, you get your credit pulled, you have a six, 60 right now. And you know, hey, in four months, as long as you don't do anything 
uh, negative with your credit, you should be at at least a 660 or higher. And it, it gives you a good idea of where things are on your, your credit report. But if you do want to find out where things are in your credit report, you can't get the score, but if you go like to annualcreditreport.com, you can get a free copy of your credit report and that will allow you to at least see if there's any negative items on your, your credit report. And so, um, yeah, so that, that's something you can you can do um, right there. And I've tried to read what I have on my paper, but it's a uh, chicken scratch. Okay, I, I read what I had on my paper. And so, yeah, so what you once you get pulled, you're 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 going around, you're you're working with a realtor, you got your pre-approval, you're running around, you and uh you and Jessica are running around looking for homes. All right. So it may take a day, it may take five, six months. I know when I bought a condo here in Dallas, I yeah, the first day I, I found uh I found a home. And so um, but when I was looking for a home with uh here in um Aubrey, a little bit north of Dallas, um it took us like five, six months. We're we're casually looking on the beginning of beginning of the process. But yeah, it took us like five or six months. We found a new construction uh, home uh, out here that we um that we uh, swooped into. And so one thing with new construction homes is they're not it's not all you know buying a home from scratch. We just they'll what do you call them? Home builders will build like what's called like spec homes because you know they need to build homes so that people can walk through and get an idea of, of their work. And so we found one of those homes that kind of kind of swooped in and we actually we didn't. We didn't swoop in, but that's a story for another day about how we got into this home here in uh, here in Dallas. But um, long story short, always use a realtor even if you're buying new construction homes because that kind of saved us on this deal, which we thought would be pretty straightforward. Because hey, you just walk in there and you 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 uh you buy a home, right? And so once you're under contract, there are a few different um things you want to look at. One, once you're under contract, that right then there well, there's three time frames. There's the there's the option period, there's the earnest money period, there's inspection, there's an inspection period, and then there's a period where you need to figure out what lender you're going to use. And so this is the time you, you kind of want to shop rates at this point. You know, shopping rates before you even get under contract doesn't really matter because the if it, let's say it took you like four to five months to find a home. The rates four or five months ago, like literally the rates four or five months ago from today were may are like half a point to maybe three fourths of a point lower than they are today. And so shopping rates and comparing quotes and all that doesn't really matter um, until you actually are under contract. And so once you're under contract, that's when you want to go look at a few different lenders and, and, and basically shop rates and see what works. So sorry, I'm using the wrong term. You don't want to shop rates, you want to shop rates and fees. And so if you have a question about how to compare fees, I do have a, a course that'll be down in the um, bio on how to uh, do all that good stuff. But um. Yeah, so and a lot of times folks are like, hey, I don't want to shop a bunch of lenders. I don't want to get my a bunch of credit hits. All credit inquiries within a 45-day time frame for a mortgage, they count as one as one hit so or as one hit as far as your credit purposes. So if you look at your credit report, you go to four lenders in like four days, you'll see four inquiries in your credit report, but it only counts as it only impacts your credit report as if it were one inquiry. FYI. So don't be don't be scared to get your 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 credit pulled. But you want to make sure that you're comparing quotes properly. And so once again, the lowest rate is not necessarily the best quote. You want to compare the rates and the fees in order to um, see which is the best quote for you. Once again, I got some stuff in my bio if you're interested in how to actually um, accurately do that. All right. And so now you're in a contract. What do you do? You want to get an, an inspection. Folks just say waiving inspection. Um, I would never recommend waiving, waiving an inspection on a, a property because, you know, you want to find out that um, you know, you bought this home, you 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 know, you may have paid five, 10% of asking price. Now there's an issue with the roof. You find out once you're under once you get the home or you or there's a an issue with plumbing that's going to cost you, you know, five, ten thousand dollars or whatever. And so a cool thing you can do, and I got this, we've got to give a big shout out to uh 
episode 16 guest, Stephen Lewis, is the option period is where you can kind of make uh, is where you can kind of make um, kind of make hay or have a, have a have a good impact on the on the home buy process. So the option period is essentially the period in time where you have the ability to back out of the contract for whatever reason. You don't even have to give a reason. You can just back out during the option period. Typically, the option period is used to um, do your inspection on the home. So you during the option period, excuse me, which may be what it used to be when I when I was buying homes. It used to be like a five to seven days. And so you get an, an inspection, an inspector to come out and inspect the home and say, hey, every, everything looks good. Or the inspector says, hey, you know, there's a, an electrical issue. This electrical issue may be a $5,000 fix. So at that point you say, okay, you know, we settled on, on a contract price of $300,000. The, my inspector is saying it'll cost me $5,000 to fix it. Um, you either fix it, you give me a $5,000 concession towards, towards fees, or um, or something like that. That that's how honestly that's how typically negotiations go in the past. In today's market, the person may just say, "Hey, kick rocks. I'm gonna go to the next person that doesn't want a concession." But that that's that's your right, and that's um, what you should do at least. So you can say, "Hey, do I want to potentially eat this five thousand dollars it may cost to fix this home?" Um, that, that's a decision you can make. But that's something you want to you want to kind of chew on during the um, during the option period. And so I've seen. Uh, going back to what I was talking about with Stephen Lewis, and so what you can do sometimes in order to 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 win the deal, like if you don't want to waive the inspection, you may say, "Hey, I want a two day option period." You get that inspector out there, you know, ASAP to inspect the inspect the home, and then get you then get your report back in forty eight hours. At least during that time frame, you can figure out that. Um, and then you want to actually increase your option money. So typically, option money is like a couple hundred dollars. You may want to have your option money be like, hey, I don't know, a thousand dollars or something like that. So. It makes the seller feel a little more confident, be saying, "Hey, if the person does back out of this contract in in, in the forty eight hours, at least I got a thousand dollars to to keep and put it right back right back on the market." Because the option money you do get to you do get to keep, and so once you once you're well, what, sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit, and once you're actually gonna, gone under contract, you have to put down earnest money too, which is kind of your skin in the game. Typically it's like a percent of the of the sales price. And so the earnest money doesn't actually go to the seller, it goes to the title company. They hold it and then the earnest money actually goes towards your your closing costs or down payment. But the earnest money is essentially your skin of the game. And so the earnest money period may be um I don't know um two or three weeks. And during that time you have the time to get your sorry excuse me the, the appraisal is done on the property. You're getting you're getting your Sorry, excuse me. You're getting the underwriting. You're getting the underwriting done on your on your, on your home, or excuse me, on your loan to make sure that you're you're credit worthy. And it's basically the time you get to qualify um, on the home. And so, you want to make sure when we're talking to about uh, turn times with the lenders, make sure that lender has a good turn time. Because if your earnest money period is like two weeks, and for some reason your lender cannot get everything done in in two weeks, as far as approve you from a credit standpoint, you're it. One of it, if it's going if it's going that long, something may be right. But after that two weeks, the the seller gets to keep your earnest money. You know whether you close on the home or not. So if for whatever reason you back out of that, um, you can't get qualified or something like that with your your loan, you're going to lose that that earnest money. And then also you're getting the the appraisal done during this time frame as well. So don't don't confuse the appraisal and the inspection. They're two different things. Inspection is evaluating the the condition of the of the property. The um, appraisal is evaluating the um the value of the property and so during the appraisal the appraiser may point out like safety issues or blatant stuff that they can see with their eyes but they're not a home inspector so the appraiser may say hey the home is 
we have a tentative appraisal. Certain stuff may need to get get fixed um, as far as far as the the appraisal. So, what did jump back to the, the FHA versus the uh, versus the conventional loan thing? And so, an FHA loan is a lot, or FHA appraisal is a lot more thorough. There's certain safety things that have to be fixed that don't have to be fixed with a um, a conventional loan. And so, that's another reason that folks will steer towards uh, conventional loans that the appraisal is a little bit less thorough there. And so, you go through the you go through the loan process. Um, you get the appraisal back, which is super important because with the appraisal, thing about the appraisal is that lender, the lender can only lend you the lower of the appraised value or the sales price on the home. So let's say that you, you know, you're you're contracted for three hundred thousand dollars on the home, and you, or let's say the sales price on the home was originally two eighty, and y'all go up to three hundred thousand dollars. If the appraisal comes back at two ninety. The lender is only going to loan you two hundred and ninety thousand dollars. So your down payment, everything is based on two hundred and nine thousand dollars. So what happens to that ten thousand dollar delta? You either have to you either have to come out of pocket another ten thousand dollars on top of your down payment. The seller has to lower the sales price down ten thousand dollars, or you may just kind of meet in the middle at some point. I don't know about that in this seller's market, but you the lender will the lender doesn't really care, but they'll only lend you the lower of the appraised value. And so the, the home coming in under appraised value should not be a shock to you because hopefully your realtor and you did a, or you should have done some sort of market analysis that based on, you know, comparable, comparable sales in the area to say that, hey, this is a good amount of uh, money to offer for this this home. And so if it comes in low, you can present those com comparable sales to the lender and they'll send them to the appraiser and, you know, they may be able to reevaluate the, the appraisal. So um, that is, yeah, that's 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 kind of it. So that, that's what happens. Uh, and then, you know, in 30 days, you close on the loan. And so once you, oh, sorry. And so to this point, the only money you should have spent was option option money, option period money, earnest money, and inspection money, get an inspection done on your property. And then on the day of closing, that's when you do the the wiring of funds to the uh, to the title company to close the home. So uh that's it. That's the home buying process. Uh, if you watch this far, appreciate it. Um, you know, tell a friend to tell a friend, you know, like the video, uh, drop a comment so I know what, what content to make for you guys. And so um, I forgot to shout out my sponsor, but it's uh, House Rich, the picture brand of home ownership. You can see it right here. Got it in the bio. I got some uh, home buying courses for you as well. But um, yeah, that's it. That's how to buy a home. It's 2022 or really 2023, <laughs> most likely as well. So thanks for watching or listening.